great. You do it. I admit, I do it too. Putting off those money to-dos. Tonight, though, some encouragement, right, to get you moving in the right direction. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. You know, Steve, we're all procrastinators to some extent, you know. (laughs) Some, me, more than others. Yes, right, with some (laughs) exceptions. Um, My friend Gentry, I think, might be the only exception to this rule. She does, like, anything, like... Oh, estate planning? Yes, I'm making that appointment right now, and we are going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> Me, I put estate planning on my list, and I get to it mm, six months later. Yeah. We get that, but here's a list of very practical things, and many of them don't take a lot of time that can be a game changer in getting your financial house in order. We think they're incredibly important, and I can tell you that I have gotten to everything on this list. Good for maybe, you. Maybe not, you know, all at once, but but get getting there. And I think that's a that's a good thing for all of us to do. Your 401k, giving it a checkup. Steve, it's so easy with the 401ks to just set it and forget it. I don't know, right. maybe you check the right. balance every few months, but that's about it. Yeah, and, and, you know, this is generally, for almost everybody I meet with, the biggest chunk of money they've got. You yeah. know, this so is, it's this important. Is, it's serious money, and, you know, it's not as much fun as maybe making vacation plans. But I'll tell you what, if you want to make vacation plans when you're retired, you should kind of pay attention to it. You, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> right, it's, that's a good point. it's where a lot of your money is. And I'll bet, I mean, uh, raise your hand right now. If you're listening, raise your ass doesn't work in radio, <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, how many, how many people can honestly say they know how much they have invested or what percentage they have invested in stocks versus bonds? I mean, this is basic. This isn't getting in a large cap growth versus large cap value. Just what's your ratio? Are you 60, 40 stocks to bonds, 70, 30? I would be willing to bet 70-80% of those listening can't answer that question off the top of their head. And that's that's basic. You need to know that. Yeah. And beyond that, um, take a look at what you're invested in every once in a while. There was a time not too long ago where I checked my 401k and there was just one fund in it that was majorly outperforming all the others, but also there was a huge percentage then of my 401k that was in that one right fund. And yeah. I was like, oh, not comfortable with this. Like I need to, it's not something I check every week, but yeah. a couple of times a year I do because I want to make sure that everything's in balance and, and I'm properly diversified. And, and here's my challenge. We have always said, if there's any chance that when you're working, especially from a young age, if you can save 20% retirement, oh, 20 is going would be to, huge. Yeah. Retirement is going to be a heck of a lot easier. And, yeah. and, and when you hear this tonight, I get that you're not going to be like, okay, 20% tomorrow. Figure out where you are, what percentage you're putting into a 401k or an IRA or however you're saving, uh, and then see if you can bump it up 1% yeah. every year. Yeah, 1% right? makes a huge difference. And and But you know what? I, I, I want to get back to the allocations for a second, though, Amy, because you know people get nervous when the market's up and you know, it may pull back yeah. or something like that. You know, you know, if you don't have a clue how much you've got in stocks, you're worried. I, I mean, anxiety is built from lack of data. I, I mean, that's 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 the bottom line. So, you know, you might be 40 percent stock and you don't really have to worry about volatility. You might be 90 percent stock and think you're OK. So get that data first. But I, I agree with you 100 percent. You know, if you want to have a good retirement, get that number that you're really shooting for. Add 1% a year. If you get a pay raise, throw that in your 401k and what you don't realize you're not getting, you don't miss. It's, yeah. it's a great way to build your 401k. And if you have old 401ks, maybe from former employers or even your current one, 
who is the beneficiary on that plan? If you have been married more than once, uh, you know, it could be, and we've seen horror stories of this coming true, where uh, you do all the great estate planning that you possibly can, you work with an attorney, you get everything all totally dialed in, and then something happens, and that person has forgotten, oops, this old 401k, which has now amassed quite a bit of money, is going to the ex-wife or ex-husband, someone who was definitely not intended to get that money, and there's nothing you can do. That beneficiary that's listed will always supersede yep. the most ironclad will that you can come up with. And that's a misconception that even though I've explained this year after year with, with everybody I work with, I, I think a lot of people still uh, believe, well, yeah, but I fixed that in my will. Uh, no, you didn't. A beneficiary, yeah. a written written beneficiary, whether it's your 401k, life insurance policy, anytime you have a written beneficiary, that's what happens, not what you put in your will. That's the bottom line. So, yeah, yeah, if you haven't fixed your beneficiaries or if you haven't added contingent beneficiaries to your 401k, like kids, um, please do that. And and the first step is, yeah, look at your statement. And if it's not printed on your statement like a lot of of these aren't, um, call up the 800 number and say, hey, uh, I, I need to know who my beneficiaries are. Yeah. And speaking of that will... Half of Americans have one, which means the other half. Well, Isn't that scary? Yeah, do yeah. not. And, and, you know, it's funny. So I, I just got remarried a couple of months ago. And when we got back from the honeymoon, it was like back to reality, right? And so I'm listing out all the things we need to take care of. And I said, we need to write thank yous and we need to do estate planning. And it was like, er, Jason was like, this is very romantic of you, Amy. And I was like, no, hey, But it we doesn't do. surprise me. You do this. You do the, you, you. This is always on your mind. That's awesome. It is. It yeah. is. And, and I get it's not a fun thing. Um, but I said, you know, hey, like we've got two, four kids. We've got two different families we're combining here. There's a lot to think through. It, regardless of what your family situation is, you taking the time to take care of this is a gift to them when you're gone. Yeah. And I could vouch for it when I was, you know, in the hospital having my fun December of last uh, last year. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that that's a situation where, okay, I had all this stuff in order. I wasn't really concerned about what would happen if to the rest of my family. So it gives you a lot of peace of mind. I don't know why people are so hesitant to to worry about, well, wait a second, that's going to cost me 500 bucks to go to my lawyer and, and get some of this stuff done. That's okay. That's $500 really well spent. Well You're going to spend four or five times that on vacation. Get something important done as a one-time deal. Get your legal documents updated. Well, I'm glad to know that you had your estate planning in place because I actually felt guilty for several weeks there that I caused that heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what recall, it was? <laughs> if you'll recall, on the very day that you went into the hospital, <laughs> I reached out to you and asked yes. you to start co-hosting yeah. Simply Money with me once Nathan retired. Uh, and it was, let me think about that. Yeah, and that, <laughs> and that's that's hospital. what caused the 95% blockage in, in my main coronary artery, not the 30 years of eating garbage. I'm but telling that's you, okay. you can believe that. I spent several sleepless nights. So, so <laughs> glad to hear maybe I was not to blame yeah. for that. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we talk about some relatively easy financial to-dos on that list that should be there in order for you to get your house in order, your credit report. When is the last time you've looked at that? I'm an, I'm a total nerd. Um, I look at my credit score and my credit report pretty regularly. But I got to tell you, when I was in my 20s, it was not something that was on my radar really <laughs> at all. Are you saying you didn't make very smart decisions when you were in college? 
Come on, well, Amy. Well, Don't here, here's my what bubble. I will say. I'm Gary Wagner's daughter, so yeah. I knew at a very young age, like, you do not put money on a credit card that you cannot pay yeah. off. I, I did get that. But I also didn't make decisions based on my credit score, meaning if I closed a credit card account, I wouldn't think about the fact that how long that, no. that had established my credit history. Or if there was a store that was offering, like, oh, I, I do shop at Banana Republic a lot, and it's the holiday season, and they're offering me 30% off. I did open some of those, you know, credit cards, which were yeah. dings on things like that, that, that that you don't think through. So knowing what your credit score is and maybe what you can do to raise it, and then also looking at your credit report, because often, and I think more often, Steve, than a lot of people would even imagine, um, there are mistakes on those credit yeah, reports. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Consumer reports, I mean, that's that's just a great publication. Yeah, they, they, ask, they ask volunteers to go ahead and check credit reports and, and submit results. And, and 5,800 people went ahead and did that. Mm-hmm. Out of the 5,800 people, almost 30% yeah. found an error. I mean, almost almost, almost almost a third, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I can vouch for that. Years ago, I, I checked uh, mine, and a credit card that my dad has, who had, had the same first name, spelled differently, but it showed up on my credit report. Apparently, dad wasn't real good with making his Sears card payments. And that was a ding on my credit card, so I had to go ahead and and get that fixed. I also uh, saw uh, his address was on my credit report, even though I never lived there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, these are things that are very common, and they could hurt you next time you apply for a loan. The the, the whole key is do it ahead of time. Do it, you know, in downtime when when you've got, you know, nothing on your plate instead of uh, applying for a car loan or applying for, for a mortgage and, oops, um, they didn't grant it because of your credit score, bad time to find out. Yeah. Get it done. Get it done early. And all of these things, Steve, are pretty important for your financial lives. But there's oftentimes when someone will stop me at Kroger or wherever and say, like, hey, if you were going to tell me to do one thing when it comes to money, what would that be? I don't even pause. It is such an easy response because my first question is, do you have an emergency fund? Oh, that is so key. Three to six months of critical expenses. I can tell you so many stories of people who had these and it saved them. And I can also tell you horror stories of people who did not have these and it wreaked havoc on their lives, whether they racked up credit cards at, pulled money out of a 401k, all kinds of like catastrophic, bad money decisions that are forced upon you when you don't. And we know, I think it's half of Americans could not cover a $400 unexpected emergency. Yeah, yeah. And and I really saw it in the depths of the pandemic when when the market was melting down. I got some calls from people saying, hey, by the way, my furnace went out or I did this and I need to take some money out. My first question was, well, why aren't you taking it out of your emergency fund? Well, that's for emergencies. Well, that that that's what this is, isn't it? I, I, I mean, <laughs> ding, why? Ding, ding, why, yeah, exactly. Why would you draw money out of an investment account when things are down? And and I felt pretty strongly it was temporary. And sure enough, it, it it proved to be the case. Why would you take money out from investments when they're down? When you have an emergency fund, hopefully, if you're retired, it's at least thirty, forty, fifty grand, something like that, and draw it out of there and replenish the emergency fund when your investments bounce back. This is not a permanent. Uh, ding on your uh, on your emergency fund. This mm-hmm. is just to take care of the emergency at a time where that is your best place to take money from.
Without a doubt. And, you know, we talk about so much on the show, but some of what we get, like a lot of the things that we talk about here, come from the investors who come into our offices, right? Because we sure. know if you're coming into our offices and you're worried about something or you're thinking about something, then then our listeners, then you as our listeners are too. And we're having so many people come into the office right now and saying, We've been overdue in sitting down and meeting with someone. We mm-hmm. knew we needed to do financial planning. The pandemic happened. All this crazy stuff happened in our lives, and now we're ready. And so if you're one of those people, there's no time like the present. And we're not saying you have to come to Allworth. There's great, great credentialed financial advisors everywhere. Yeah. The key is to find someone that you can trust, a fiduciary. We like certified financial planners, chartered financial consultants, someone who has done the work who's been doing this work for a long time, but find someone who you can trust to sit down with. Yeah, and, and, and a fiduciary is the key phrase. Ask them how they get paid. If they get paid by commission, maybe keep looking. If they say, no, we work for a fee, we charge either a flat fee or a percentage of the assets under management, um, that's, that's generally the way to go because they're sitting on your side of the table, not their own side. They're, they're working in your best interests. Here's the Simply Money point. Now is a great time to do just a couple things to go ahead and try to improve your financial future. How does this sound for a minimum wage? $70,000. No joke. A CEO gave this to his employees. How'd that go? That's ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. Listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. This popular financial product makes some big promises to save you from market turbulence. Do you need it? That's ahead at 643. So think about this. What would happen at your job if the minimum wage was, say, $70,000? Steve, I'm thinking back to like the college Amy. Like my mind would have been blown. <laughs> Could you imagine? No. Oh, that it was, yeah. Six times, I mean, <laughs> huge, huge salary. But this is exactly what happened. So this is the CEO Dan Price at a, at a credit card processing company called Gravity Payments. He did this. He actually took money away from his own paycheck, and he said, "Listen, here's the deal: the longer people stay around, the better they can help our customers. The better they help the customers, mm-hmm. the happier they are. The more money that we make." And it seemed to work really well. Can you imagine? I mean, this guy's walking the walk, Amy. I, I mean, he's <laughs> no not kidding. just saying, hey, here's what other people should do. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the average pay is for a CEO, but it ain't $70,000. This guy took a million dollar a year pay cut so mm-hmm. that he would be at the same 70000 minimum wage as the newest of new hires at his company. Everybody makes at least $70,000 at his company after he made this decision. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of naysayers said, your, your company's going belly up. This is not going to yeah, work. Yeah, we know and, where you're heading for. Yeah, exactly. And the exact opposite happened. Their turnover yeah. was slashed. People, imagine that. You get paid more money and you like your job better. I mean, yeah. that's basically what happened, you right. know, and, and when you know the leader of your company is also doing that, he got rid of his second home, he's living on 70000 a year, he's probably got $8 million in stock options, but whatever, you know, details, at least details. he's walking the walk, and that's awesome. I, I'd love to see more companies do it, but I kind of think that's an anomaly. 
without a doubt, it's an anomaly. And he did it before the pandemic, right? And there were yeah. some naysayers saying you're headed for bankruptcy. Well, things did get bad during yeah. COVID, right? They lost more than half of their business. And, and the CEO was thinking, okay, now we're probably four months away from having to close our doors. They were able, though, to bounce back because employees voluntarily took a temporarily uh, voluntarily took a temporary pay cut. And I guarantee it's because they saw their leader do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just imagine everybody in a company, top to bottom, all pulling together uh, for for the same purpose to keep the company afloat. I, I mean, that's an awesome, awesome thing to be talking about. There's so many companies, you know, there's disgruntled employees. Sure. I, I should have gotten a pay raise. This, that, and the other thing. And here, everybody gets good money. They're all in it together. They got through the bad times, and he made good on his promise. Everybody who took a pay cut to get through that period, he gave them that money back. That's yeah. tremendous. Amazing story. Bosses, if you're having trouble like getting employees engaged, if you've got a high turnover rate, well, maybe take steps, not necessarily all the way there, but maybe in this direction. Every week we take a deep dive into a piece of the economy or a financial planning issue. And tonight, the ins and outs of the Roth conversion. And Steve, the reason why we're talking about this is because there's a lot of you who are talking about this. Well, yeah, and, and this is a really great planning tool, especially if you recently retired. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. You're, you're making good money or towards the end of your career, you make this momentous decision to retire, and now all of a sudden your income is slashed. I, I mean, slashed considerably. So what can you do for estate planning and, and tax planning? And, and tax planning is different than tax preparation. Tax planning is being proactive. Well, here, here's a great example. A Roth conversion is where you take money from your traditional IRA or traditional 401k and move it into a Roth IRA. Okay, that sounds good. Why would you do that? Well, for one, Roth distributions, as long as that Roth has been in existence five years or, or and you're over 59 and a half, distributions are tax-free. Yeah. Distributions from a traditional IRA or 401k are very taxable. So, okay, well, that's great. Why wouldn't I do that with all my money? Because you're taxed when you convert. When you pull that money from the traditional and put it in the Roth, you're taxed on that money. It's the government getting their money now versus later. And, yeah. and so the government wants to encourage that. So, okay, I'm going to think about this. Why would I do it then? Well, because distributions are tax-free. And if you do this year after year after year, with the help of your tax advisor, this can become a good chunk of money building up in Roth IRAs that are going to be the source of funds for maybe your next car or, yeah. or a second house or something like that. It's a great tool. The key here, though, is to have money outside of this account yeah. for when you do have to pay taxes. Like the losing proposition here is you have to pull a large chunk of money out of the money that was already set aside for this in order to pay the taxes. Exactly. And also, you mentioned working with a tax planner. I think that's so critical because you also want to watch. You don't want to pull out so much that you bump yourself up into another tax exactly. bracket. Yep. So that's something that you have to consider here, too. Well, here, I mean, here's some some. Real quick numbers. If you make less than $80,000 adjusted gross, and, and again, this is usually for retirees, and adjusted gross means that's after the $25,000 standard deduction. So, you know, maybe $105,000 before deductions. Well, you're probably in the joint uh, married tax bracket of 12%. Over 80,000, 22%. Big jump in, in the amount in tax you pay. So if you're if you're pulling in maybe 60,000 uh, in taxable income, you might be able to do 30, 40, 50,000 dollars in a Roth conversion 
at that 12% tax rate without bumping you up. So again, sit down with your tax advisor before you do this, but that's that's a pretty good deal. I'll, I'll take 12% tax. This can be incredibly beneficial, but also to your point, sit down with someone before because once you've done this, you can't reverse it. You can't say, oh, wait a second, I want to put that money back into that regular IRA because I didn't realize it was going to bump me up to another tax bracket. No, no, no. Uncle Sam has already cashed in. There are no do-overs or take-backs in this game. Here's a Simply Money point. Roth conversions can make a lot of sense to save on future tax bills, but it isn't always a money smart strategy. Talk to a tax professional to see if it is for you. Should you ever carry debt into retirement, that's ahead at 634. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Spravak. You know, debt, the D word, not necessarily ever a good thing. But when you get to retirement... That takes on an entirely different kind of an issue. Joining us tonight with some great perspective on that, Britt Riley, Certified Financial Planner at Allworth Financial, regular here on the Simply Money Show. You know, Britt, I mean, I think everyone carries some debt through our lives, right? There's very few people out there that have zero debt. Yet when you get to retirement and there's no longer kind of new money coming in, debt starts to look a whole lot different. Certainly. Um, you you know, the old adage in retirement is, is if money not going out is as good as money coming in. Yes. Um, you know, so one of the things that we struggle with as we transition from working to retirement is now dealing with the fact that we're, we're kind of operating off of a, more of a, a fixed income and we have less control over our own, you know, ability to earn um, than we used to while we were working. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that ability to eliminate these uh, extra required payments as you transition into retirement will give you a lot greater degree of control over your long-term retirement. And Britt, I know this is a conversation you have all the time with the investors that you work with, and I'm assuming specifically the number one thing on that list is your mortgage. So a mortgage can be what we would typically think of as, as good debt as opposed mm-hmm. to, you, you know, taking credit debt, card debt on or, yeah. credit cards or to pay for a wedding or, or things that aren't integral to your ability to, you know, survive and live in retirement. Uh, you certainly need a home. Now, ideally, if we can get to retirement, you know, and pay the mortgage off, that certainly gives you, a, again, much greater degree of control over your spending in post-retirement. But so sometimes that's about, not feasible. Well, and let's, let me see, let's talk about the kinds of decisions that go into that. And I'm, I'm thinking about a specifically an investor that I was talking to a few years ago, uh, you know, and it was it was kind of like this. Like the market was a really good time. Uh, well, actually, it was before this. So it was it was a really good time to buy. They found a great deal. It was a neighborhood they wanted to be in. Yet they were probably 10 years or less out from retirement. They were looking at a 30-year mortgage. And so the conversation was a tough one because they really, really wanted to make the move, but ultimately, financially, it didn't make sense. Yes, you can make those payments now when you've got the paychecks coming in, but when you get to retirement and you can't pay it off, uh, that's a pretty big bill hanging over your head. Uh, And that is the risk there. So, you know, in that case, we would refer back to, you know, have you done a long-term financial plan? Um, Is is that longer-term payment into your retirement, is that going to be feasible above and beyond your other living expenses? Um, you know, and in a case like that, we're interesting in this very low interest rate environment we are in today, um, there's very little difference in interest rate between a short-term mortgage, a 15-year mortgage, 
versus a 30-year mortgage. So it, there, are, there can be some times when we would actually recommend that somebody take out that long-term duration mm -hmm. uh, mortgage. And really what we're doing there is we're reducing their required payment you know, through their retirement to as low as we can get it. What other considerations, Britt, do you have when someone's getting close to retirement and they've got some debt, whether it's the mortgage or something else? What does that conversation look like? Well, typically we're going to sit down and look at, um, A, are they holding cash assets? So as you transition into retirement, it is important to have some cash available to you as an emergency fund, as well as money to spend. Um, you know, ideally, if you have spending that can cover a couple of years into your retirement in, in more fixed, you will give yourself a smoother transition in dealing with the fluctuations in market, you know, in your, in your longer-term investments. Um, if that's not possible, okay, what we would tend to do is to start to try to stretch our debt out as long as it's possible, um, you know, in order to minimize the amount of outgoing monthly, you know, expenditure on those debt payments. That's a great point. So you're saying, uh, listen, if we can't speed this up and get it off the table completely by the time you retire, then let's look at a way of stretching it out and making those payments as little as possible over the course of your retirement. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are joined by Britt Riley, certified financial planner at Allworth on the team. He's also a regular here on the show. You know, Britt, interestingly, one thing that we've seen just by the stats, uh, people going into retirement is with more student loan debt. Are you running across that at all, whether it's student loans that they took out for themselves or for children or grandchildren? So retiree debt as a whole has been on the rise, and, yeah. and student loan debt is certainly one of a primary contributing. Uh, we're seeing, um, in, in my particular case, I see more clients dealing with their kids' student loans than their own. Sure. Um, you know, but it is, it, it certainly is an issue. Um, and those, again, are, it, you're paying on a, a payment of, something that's not actually adding towards your own retirement, you know. So if we can get that off the books before retirement, it it will make those retirement years a lot less stressful. And talking to someone like Britt, right, someone like you, before a parent chooses to take on these student loans or the mortgage, makes life even that much easier. I mean, when someone is thinking about retiring, at what point, Britt, do you say, okay, now it's probably time for, for you to sit down with someone, right? Whether you're figuring out how to get the debt off the books, whether it makes sense to, um, what your spending looks like in retirement. At what point do you think if someone's thinking they're five years out, they're 10 years out, is it serious and they need to come in? So, you know, we really look at, we call it the retirement red zone, and it really does start about five to seven years out from retirement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for certainly some people where you may have a larger amount of debt, the, the longer term that you have to plan before retirement, the less extreme the changes that you have to implement. So when we think about planning, especially planning for retirement, time is our friend. So if we've given ourselves more time on that planning horizon, we have the ability to make a greater degree of change or, or have to make smaller you know, year-by-year -year changes in order to get to that larger goal. 
And, you know, but we talk about all the time on the show about how you want to make work an option, not an obligation in retirement. The earlier out you're sitting down and kind of thinking through these things, the more likely you are probably to be able to have that option. Correct. And, you know, uh, I always tell people, especially as you're starting to think of in terms of approaching retirement, um, there's a couple of things you really need to keep in mind. You need to you need to assume that you're going to live a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we I, I talk to a lot of people that laugh when we talk to them in terms of planning out into their early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, is more and more people are hitting that mark. And yeah. the worst thing in the world is to assume that you're going to die in your early 80s and not. Um, yes. Well, I guess that's not the worst thing in the world, but it certainly is a a, uh, a scary a, thing, a right? To shock. outlive your money. <laughs> Nobody wants to do yeah, that. Correct. Great perspective tonight uh, from our friend Britt Riley. He is a certified financial planner on the Allworth team, a regular here on the show. If you have debt and you're getting close to retirement, you probably want to sit down with someone soon, figuring out what your best course of options are for you. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Buy now, pay later. These services are becoming incredibly popular. You've probably seen them when you've been shopping online. Are they a good idea for you? That's ahead at 653. You know, when you're trying to figure out your financial future, you can sit down and talk to a lot of different people. And there are some who will tell you that the product, there is a product out there that is the perfect solution to your financial problems. We see this all the time. Uh, and a lot of times, Steve, that product is in the form of an annuity. Yeah. And, and the most popular by far are equity indexed annuities. And, and more than half of those sold, uh, Amy, yeah. are, are equity indexed annuities. And, and you know what? People drop them on my desk once in a while and say, you know, I got this. Don't know exactly what it is. And I said, let me guess. Was it pitched to you as, oh, you make money when the market's up and you don't lose when the market goes down? Yeah. How'd you know? Because yeah. that's the way they're sold. And, yeah. and it's not obviously not that simple. First of all, that sounds like a no-brainer, right? When sure. someone puts something like that in front of you. But here's the thing. The products that are in these annuities are the same products that are available to you and me, whether yeah. they're ETFs, investment fund, mutual funds, you know, index tracking. It doesn't matter. We have the same options in investments every day. Yeah. And so you look at the S&P 500, what's it up, like 20% so far this year, something like that over the past year, um, you know, with a lot of these funds, there's if you read the small print, there's a cap. Oh yeah, right? yeah. They're, on they're, how much growth you can actually yeah, get? You know, we always say uh, the devil's in the details, and and you know, let's let's throw a few of them out here. Uh, and and first of all, an indexed annuity or any type of annuity is an insurance product. So you've got mm-hmm. an insurance company. I'm not saying this is bad, but you've got an insurance company that is putting together a package. And you're not really invested in the Standard & Poor's 500 or in some other index. You're invested with the insurance company, and what they're doing is paying you basically interest based on a calculation they do on these other indexes. So you're you're on the hook with what your contract says that the insurance company will pay you. And, and I'll, I'll give you a few questions. Hey, first of all, if it's involved in the stock market, 
when is the return credited? Is it at the end of one year or is it at the end of three years? What index am I in? There's usually a bunch of choices. How about what percent of that index? I mean, you hit hit the nail on the head. That's called a cap rate. So if the market is up 20%, do I get that 20% or is it capped at 6%, which mm-hmm. most are? Often so, is. you know, yeah, you, it goes up when, when the market goes up, but how much does it go up? It, you know, it's basically the insurance company saying, all right, we're going to go ahead and take your money and we're going to invest it the way we want to invest it and we'll pay you a certain rate that, you know, more or less guarantees us a profit. Again, I'm not saying that's bad, but you have to know this going in before you sign the paperwork. I think the key here is we're not saying that annuities are are bad, but we are saying that we have seen many people come into our offices who were sold annuities who were never explained, did not fully understand them, and they just weren't a good fit for them. And it is heartbreaking when you have someone saying, here's all of my investments, and it's annuity, annuity, and you look at it and you think, well, this is probably not the best thing for you. And then you think, okay, can we get you out of this? Oh, no. Yeah. There's surrender charges. And and then we we can't help you at that point, right? And, And that is the heartbreaking part of this for us. For some people, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it it can, and and I've seen cases where it's worked out uh, very well for people over the long run, and and that's the the real kicker on this. I, you want the killer question? Just ask the guy selling you the annuity. What's your commission on this? What do you make? And and they'll hem yeah. and haw, but no, I I want to know what you get paid. And the answer is probably going to be six percent, seven percent. You need to know going in. If I'm thinking of signing paperwork to invest a hundred thousand dollars, that this guy may make six or seven thousand dollars. And where does that money come from? Well, obviously, it's coming out of your investment in some way, shape, or form. So you know, know what they're getting paid and 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 what they're they're. You know, are they on the same side of the table as as you? Does it fit your your uh, investment goals? And, and if you don't like it, what is the penalty for getting out? I mean, if you you know feel that okay, maybe I shouldn't have bought this. A year later, I want to get out of it. What will it cost you? What will they charge you? That's called the surrender charge, and and it may be six or seven or eight percent to get out in the first year if you just decided you changed your mind or your investment objectives have changed. I mean, it might be severe. That's a big chunk of money. Someone recently reached out to me and wanted to make sure that I was clear on how this industry works. And it almost made me giggle because, yes, I'm clear. And I wanted to ask, like, hey, do your customers, are they clear on how much you're getting paid? Are they clear on the postcards that are coming in the mail to the people who are selling these products about the trips and the cruises that they can get, right? So, you know, and and recently, Wake came across someone who was making maybe, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, wanted to get close to retirement, had an inheritance coming in, was trying to figure out how to buy a house, an immediate annuity would make sense for her. It could, yeah. Right, yeah, Yeah. could make sense for her. So we're not saying this is all bad, but man, we just want to make sure that there is transparency in these products because we've seen far too many people buy them, not understand them, and it just not be the best fit for them. Here's the Simply Money point. Retirements are better served with a personalized plan without an expensive product. Massive retailers want you to try this. You know, just buy it now. You can pay later, but should you? That's ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Do you want to spend 800 bucks on a sofa? Well, 
Maybe not, but what if you had just 20 easy payments of $40? Well, that sounds doable. Steve, this is popping up. If you do any shopping online, you yeah. have seen this option a hundred times. Yeah, and, and uh, it, you know, it's back. I mean, I remember coming out of college way back when. Um, these, these were called rent-to-own. I, I mean, yeah. you would you would rent, you know. I, I knew kids that were fresh out of college that, that – uh, furnish their whole apartment with rent to own. That was different. That was a, a little bit of, yeah, you're really overpaying over time on these things, and, and the break-even didn't work out real well. But it's back in a different form. And, yeah, and, yeah let's make, you know, 20 easy payments of 5 bucks a piece, and, and uh, you can have it. It's kind of like a reverse layaway, which yeah. eh, maybe maybe that works for some people. Well, it was just thinking about that. So my mom, Sue Wags, was always a layaway person, right? Yeah. So she would, like – holiday gifts or whatever it was, layaway, pay so much every month, and then you get them. This is different. This is, you buy it online now, and you can pay the full price. But I mean, I'm telling you, just about every retailer out there, and there's a, a number of options, Afterpay, Klarna, uh, that are out there, and they'll say, yeah, you can pay this, or um, you can pay this much now, get it now, yeah. and then you keep paying installments on this. Here's the problem, and this is this is my huge concern with this, Steve, and, and I just think, okay, when I was first seeing it off college and made no money, 90% of everything I looked at buying, I could not afford. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't afford it. Yeah. But if someone were to say, yeah, but you could have that sweater or you could have that those shoes or you could have that couch – and just, you know, pay an installment. Well, all of a sudden I can. Yeah. And now I can have the sweater and the shoes and the couch because I can afford all three of those payments right now. And you keep buying that way. And then it's it doesn't magic. get pretty. Yeah, no. exactly. And if you read the fine print, every contract I've ever seen on the, these types of deals are, but if you miss a payment or if you don't pay in full after a certain date, guess what? They charge interest. And usually it's not one or two percent. They charge interest from day one. So you really have to watch yourself on these things because if you can't pay it in full, it may cost you way more than you were expecting. If you've got kids who are millennials, ask them if they know about this, if they are using it. I'm pretty certain probably a lot of them are. 5% of the holiday purchases this year are expected to be done this way, right, in these yep. installment plans. And I'm going to bet next year the numbers are 10 15%, yep. right? This is only going to get more popular. And, and if you can pay it, it's like your credit card bill. If you can pay these truly on time, you're going to be fine. But if you miss a payment, oh. there are penalties if and you lose track, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it is not a pretty thing. Make sure your kids understand exactly how these work and how they can get into trouble with these if they start using them and it can get out of control. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station.